I think it's a race to the bottom because all these publishers are outsourcing um, quite a lot of this copy editing. Yeah, it's possible. It's perfectly possible. All copy editing is now outsourced. It's not a matter of we, we're not we're not sending manufacturing jobs to Taiwan here. It's a job where a document turns up. It is copy edited and then it is sent back and then maybe some iterations of this occur until the task is complete. It's been exactly the same for the last 15 years. It's just cheaper now and more people know how to do it and you have better tools. Welcome to Everything Hurts. My name is Dan Quintana from the University of Oslo and I'm here with James Heathers from Northeastern University. Happy New Year, James. Happy New Year, Daniel. Do you have a special New Year in the Norways that involves non-typically understood New Year'sing traditions? No, it's pretty pretty Western. Um, at least it's different from the Australian tradition because everyone uh, buys their own fireworks and uh, they all get a bit crazy. Uh, I the same miss, thing in uh, Boston. I what's, miss what's... that. No, we weren't. We weren't in Boston. We went to the middle of nowhere, which is a, a preferred New Year's activity in this house. Mm. To be unbothered by the <laughs> filthy masses, be in the middle of nowhere with scruffy cows. It's good. Good scruffy cows. Yeah. Nah, so it's uh, yeah, it gets pretty crazy around here. Everyone picks up. Everyone drives across the border to Sweden, picks up cheap fireworks, comes back again, and uh, and lights them off. And yeah, it's pretty. Uh, it's pretty good. Nothing like the old uh, Sydney fireworks, but yeah. Uh, it's more fun when you're right there and you can hold yeah, them yeah, and yeah. shoot them directly at circulating <laughs> children. It's a lot more. Or, it's a lot more fun to do it that way. It doesn't always, matter how always. big they are. Yeah, yeah. I, I miss that. I miss. I miss my dad coming back from a business trip. Fishwick. Stopping, stopping by in Fishwick. Fishwick, <laughs> Fishwick ACT. Uh, yeah, this one's called the Three Missing Fingers Combo Pack. Ah, <laughs> that was a that was a great fun. Yeah, you can't argue what? with a good firework. Always, always good fun. Well, today we're going to talk about a new paper which has come out in the inaugural issue of uh, Nature Human Behavior. Um, yeah, now, now I, I, you're going to have to tell me about this journal because I did not know this existed. We have nature, nature, nature. neuroscience, and nature uh, communications, uh, mm. nature human behavior. So this is a new nature umbrella journal. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, as the name suggests, focusing on human behavior, and I think it's been taking accepting submissions for the past uh, six months or so. Okay. And uh, they've got a few papers in press, but they've just had their first issue. And they're like a typical uh, journal within the Nature family, of course, they're doing um, research articles, um, smaller letters, perspectives, um, news in general. Uh, so it's going to be it's going to be really interesting. Um, but uh, this, uh, this paper... I, th- I think so. Um, but this, uh, this, this paper that we're going to talk about today is titled A Manifesto for Reproducible Science. And it's got some pretty big names or some names that have been fairly well involved in uh, recent discussions around reproducibility. 
Um, and uh, yeah, we're gonna have a have a look through, have a chat about it. What do you uh, What do you reckon? What jumped out at you when you had a read of this one? Uh, the fact that a paper specifically concerned with uh, setting out a full manifesto for scientific reproducibility is in a Nature Group journal, who own, of course, the <laughs> the, the 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 single journal most responsible for people trying to twist, distort, and otherwise beat their interesting, exciting results into a publishable format so it can be mm. communicated uh, in a manner where everyone agrees that they are so incredibly special. It's, well, uh, I, I so, but that, that, that being said, of course, I mean, you could, you could say that about most publishers. Uh, they have their, Almost all. Well, yeah, they have their flagship journal and then someone else wants to publish something about this. So, I mean, that's, that's more a... That's a peripheral irony. But you asked me for the first thing I noticed and... Mm. Yeah, that's that's a that's at least somewhat funny. Well, to the to the credit of the particular journal, they're actually adopting the uh, registered reports, where you actually uh, register and uh, you submit your your paper, and you uh, tell them exactly what you're going to do, what what your methods are going to be. And, uh, uh, and yeah, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. I really I really like that specific format. So you 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 pre-register a data collection and an analysis plan. And they accept it on that basis, right? Well, in, in, in introduction um, methods, and uh, they accept it based on that. So no matter what, uh, so it obviously means that you're asking an important question, your methods are good, you have enough participants, um, enough statistical power, what have you, um, and that um, whatever the result you get, they're in principle, they're going to publish it. So I think that's a really good approach of doing it. And this journal, I think it's the first nature journal to, to do this. Um, but this journal is definitely doing it, and a lot of other journals are also doing this uh, registered reports as well, um, which has been uh, championed quite a bit by uh, by Chris Chambers, who, who's in the UK. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's great to see this journal actually putting their money where their mouth is. But it I, is it is a good idea because, I mean, especially look, if you've got soft funding to do research, you already have something approximating a data collection plan for everything you're going to do. You know how yeah, it's going there. to be done. You went out and you, you described all of this in detail and then you got it funded. So the idea that you can you can turn your existing descriptions of something that are supposed to be a good idea into another document and then send that document to someone who goes, what do you know that is a good idea? Um, but make sure you do it exactly like that or you can call, you can climb a tree. Yeah, yeah. I like that. I like this, but this re- re- the registration. What's it called again? Pre-registration. Yeah, yeah, go. Re- re- registered. Re- yeah. yeah. Yeah, registered report. It's far too early, Dan. Oh, you, you <laughs> chirpy face at three in the afternoon. You said people could see the two of us here with your fancy haircut and the sunlight coming through the window, looking like the the simultaneously like yet thoroughly unlike Two Face from the Batman films. <laughs> I'm sitting here, I got my hair up my nose, I got Skype at an unflattering angle so I look like I swallowed a bullcock. We should uh, we should try the uh, the opposite where you, you call me first thing in the morning. We'll see how that one goes. But that's the middle of the night, we're not doing that. <laughs> hey Dan, it's half eight in the morning, let's have a conversation, what time is what's it there? It? Four. <laughs> so I'll go out I'll go out to the, the silhouette, I'll uh, drink a lot of American terrible american draft beer and then i'll come and call you at four in the morning 
see how you goes. look with your fancy haircut, looking like a well, monkey with mange. Well, the uh, <laughs> uh, table one in this paper summarizes um, quite a lot of what they're of what they're going to be, uh, or really what their manifesto includes. Um, and what's what's really interesting is that uh, they actually include, of course, you know, different sections themes uh, one of them being methods and things around methods another one being reporting and dissemination yeah. um, something that we've been actually quite active with ourselves within the field of heart rate variability we published our graph guidelines for reporting heart rate variability studies um recently so it's something that we really particularly believe in um and there's also a section on reproducibility um evaluation which is around peer review something else that we've also discussed um yeah, and the final thing being uh, being incentives, uh, ways that we can actually, uh, you know, we can we can sell these we can sell these things to we're blue in the face, but um, yep. unless incentives are put in place, these things aren't going to happen. But yeah, what- there's a particularly interesting uh, point in that little. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that little box has got the really big one, but we'll get to that in a second. Okay. And the other thing is that each of these points have particular stakeholders, whether this is something that needs to be pushed by the journals or the publishers, uh, by the funders, um, by institutions, or by the actual regulators as well. So a lot of these things, um, yeah, researchers can think that these are, these are fantastic ideas, but they're really not going to happen unless these, uh, these changes are actually mandated by the journals. Which, uh, for the example of um, of clinical trials, within clinical trials, we have the consort um, consort guidelines for, for for reporting studies. Yeah. Man. Now, most most medical journals now um, make this um, uh, mandatory. I actually reviewed a paper which uh, went to a journal which this was mandatory, and they re- they reported a clinical trial, but they didn't actually uh, one they didn't submit their consort checklist, and two, um, you know, even without the checklist, they didn't even do half the things that they should have done. Um, within uh, within this trial, even though this was a this is a mandatory um, part of actually submitting a paper to this particular journal, uh, as a result of the journals mandating this, this has actually improved um, how people do clinical trials because now they know okay, if I don't do it in a certain way in a year or two years time, I'm not actually going to be able to submit this thing to any decent journal because none of them are going to accept it mm. unless I follow this thing. So there's a there's a great example. Um, do you think uh, medical uh, medical research or biomedical research has had a, a few years to have a uh, an earlier, better, louder replication crisis? I mean, a lot of a lot of the, the acceptance of this is kind of in response to. I mean, I, that, that's the the first things that I remember in the popular media were about specifically clinical biomedical clinical research doesn't reproduce and is full mm. of spiders. <laughs> it's also I, it's also driven heavily by people who are I mean people who are active in research is, is is what I mean is people who work at research institutions who who get a lot of money to do this stuff and a lot of the time who who care about the outcomes who accept the fact that research is messy and difficult and stochastic and they're also properly funded a lot of the time mm. you know you're not you're not knocking this out in a basement somewhere. <laughs> I mean, a clinical trial, by definition, requires a, a fairly substantial amount of money. Mm-hmm. So, it's a it's a field where you can modernize it, and then everyone who is intelligent enough to have 
close contact with it and well-funded enough to have close contact with it and is engaged in the research process can snap their fingers one day and go, I accept your standard. Mm. It's a good standard. I can't think of anything particularly wrong with it. Yeah, I I think it's, you know, it it both helps with the um, the consistency of how things are actually reported but also how um it makes you think about your study design because one of the one of the questions is how did you come up with your sample size things like that sure um you know so you you can't just run a trial and then go oh i'm gonna i'm gonna go by these guidelines you have to actually uh, this has to be built in to um, and a lot of people were doing it anyway but some weren't um so there's a few important points there um and there, yeah there's a ton of um uh, if you go to the equator website i'm not sure what that stands for but this is a list of guidelines i think there's about 300 for all different types of studies yeah oh, i have to put that as a link in the show notes because i don't even know that one yeah it's called uh so you it's obviously got all the big ones but any sort of like and and the the, the, the variety of stuff is incredible so when it comes to reporting any sort of medical intervention or anything within biomedical sciences um, it's just a database. So if you're embarking on a new research area, you just put your your thing in the search box, and it'll actually come up with um, uh, different guidelines for your for your area. Uh, so yeah, it's it's really nifty. Graph is in there, our paper. So when hmm. people is it? Yeah, it uh. is. It it is indeed. Yeah, I'd love to inflict that on more people, but it's kind of not our role. I hope that it would get formally adopted somewhere but Mm. you know i'm not the kind of person to lobby an editor (laughs) or a steering group or something to to pay attention to it and neither Mm. neither are you frankly no so yeah but these uh you got angry the other day when you saw a meta-analysis you used some terrible language (laughs) about that meta-analysis that was that was that was great i can read the quote out if you think people would be interested it was it was bad. It was bad. You were so furious. I loved it. Yeah, no. I was, this uh, is a was... bad meta analysis, and the authors should be catapulted into the sun. I mean, th- how can you say I'm not rubbing off on you when you write that at eight forty five in the morning? <laughs> okay, let, let me let me cover why briefly cover why I thought it was bad. It was in a it was in a good journal, which should should know better. Um, and uh, two major issues is um, that they, in this particular meta-analysis, they took a number of effect sizes from the same study. Yeah. So when you do that, there's a whole bunch of... There's, <laughs> each of these effect sizes are dependent on each other. So say you have one study which is run really, really bad and you extract five different effect sizes from that study, you're going to have bad study X um, having more of an influence versus other independent studies. Um, this wasn't properly done. Um, in this particular um, that, meta-analysis. That, that seems crucial. Because all I need to do is one bad study that has eight internal separate comparisons. Mm. And then it's inherent on the circumstances of the way that the study's taking place. Yeah, well, you know, I'll stop building the catapult. Um, <laughs> maybe we can get some Maybe we can get some funding. Uh, so for, the, for, the cat, for the research catapult. The research catapult. That's, that's an excellent idea. Um yeah, what 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 it would be a close uh, a me- mechanical close star interface for suboptimal research. What's the acronym? We need the acronym. Oh, you and your <laughs> acronyms. I don't know the damn acronym, man. 
Anyway, I'm we'll... sorry, I, 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 I want to draw your attention to something here before we start making lists of people who should be thrown into celestial bodies. Um, go right to the bottom of table one here, our manifesto for reproducible science. Go all the way down, all the way down, all the way down. The very last item. Oh, open science practices in hiring and promotion. Yeah, right. Have you seen this out in the wild? Have I seen... Well, I'm not applying for jobs, so I can't... I don't no, have any immediate... But I mean, have, have you have you heard of any positions where open science practices are actually a part of the description beyond no. paying lip service? No, I have not. And I can guarantee you... I was talking to a, a professor of biology of, uh, a few months ago at the end of last year, and he... He said that they had a they had a position open at Harvard recently. Fancy, fancy Harvard. Um, do you know how many people apply for one of those positions? Hundreds, more than hundreds. Yeah, multiple hundreds. I think he said this was the one that was like the most oversubscribed that ever have. So it was three hundred and eighty or something. And even that was probably an estimate on his part because he wasn't from Harvard. This is something he'd heard secondhand. But he'd heard it secondhand from someone who's on the hiring committee. Whatever. Anyway, the point being, when you have a situation like that, and it's not too different in any other major research university, these things like this are massively oversubscribed at every level until you get to the thing like, we need to headhunt the right lady to run this institute. Mm. Okay, so in an environment where everything's heavily oversubscribed, they have to do the same thing that large companies do which is they need to implement some kind of system that allows them to get the early stuff uh, the early decisions made and large amounts of people removed from the process what that generally means is that they have to take a metric based approach to chuck people out now combine this with the fact that I meet people now who are in the American tradition of extremely competitive, always ask for money, always publish stuff, sorts of science at a variety of levels of research. And I can assure you that very few of them, a lot of people are aware that this stuff exists, but it's kind of background noise to them. It's, it's, it's there, but it doesn't have any, look, they've, they've got a job that has parameters and, it doesn't have any bearing or relevance on what they do. It's like, oh, yeah, 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 experiments should be powered properly. Uh, yeah, get on with doing whatever. I was like, right, I'll be back to the job of turning turning numbers into publications and publications into food. Ha, ha, ha. Right. So you, you have a situation where there's, there's lots and lots of fields that are full of old, angry people who made their bones doing research that would be laughed out of town today <laughs> that's become fundamental. And I can tell you this from personal experience, the moment you start tapping on the side of that research with a little hammer, they feel as if they're, or the authority that they deserve somehow, that they're entitled to, is being taken away. And they react really, really badly. I'm always super amused when I hear people, oh, uh, people on the internet who are advocates for open science and are openly critical of idea XYZ are 
mean and they have an inappropriate tone and they conduct themselves into yeah yeah what the 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 really funny part is if you get to know the if you get to know the people uh just even a little bit behind the scenes of the stuff that's actually being criticized (laughs) trust me they've got their own tone they've got their own tone about (laughs) what they feel about you know a, 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 a some Random postdoc at the University of Oregon who has a, a... I made that up. There's no one specifically there. I was just saying somewhere wherever. A big so, university so, so, professor. Listening from there who is going, this? Oh, no. no, it's not me. <laughs> who is this yeah. bloody little poor person and what are they doing? Do they know who I am? It's 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 too... It's too butt hairs away from... Of that... Oh, I said butt hairs. I'm telling you, you know, I, American. I, I, I had that... Away um, from that. So, I had look, that experience recently. Um, hang on, let me let me. No, 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 you say that. Just let me pull it back, just quickly, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? We still live in that world, and I was going through this paper, looking for the thing. It's like, how do we, how do you change this general generationally? Open science practices and hiring and promotion, and I've noticed that they've given it a little star that says less than five percent extent of current adoption. Generous, I think. Yeah, you're not. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. The world is uh, the, the the scientific world is still run by a generation of people who probably will not ever knock most of the recommendations up the chain out of this table. So we're going to end up with a two cultures problem if we don't already have one pretty fast. Now, related to that, um, now, tell firstly, me, tell me your story. You got all excited. I saw your little eyes shine. It was going to be great. Firstly, I was um, uh, sometime last year. I was reviewing a uh, HIV paper, and uh, I was just telling them, you know, you haven't um, you haven't mentioned anything regarding uh, regarding how you how you clean the data. Um, yeah, you know the because well, most people you're... most people clean heart rate data for doing that by just sort of uh, hitting it with a plank of wood. Yeah. And then um, or, and then smiling a lot. They 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 didn't do that. So I I I just asked politely, going, you know, can you just give us a bit more information about how you dealt with artifacts and how you clean stuff? And then I got the review back, and uh, they they essentially said, um, you know, don't the, the tone was, don't you know who I am? <laughs> was this a blind well, I, review? I, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they didn't know who I was, but um, no, the, no, no. The, the, Were the, they blinded? Because you say if you don't, that mean they, it has to be an unblinded review. Because if you're not given information on who they are, and they and the the implied I, tone I, is, don't you know who I am? The answer is I, obviously I, no. Of course, I don't fucking know who you are. <laughs> I I knew who they were, but uh, and they were basically right. making the argument single blind. Um, okay, yeah, they were basically making the argument. We'd be doing this for for you know 10 20 years we oh. know how to clean data trust me the data was done right we're not going to no, the details that's, that's my like... that's my candid response no no i don't yeah. trust you and uh yeah whenever i get that back in review yeah i, I, I had i had this with a, a papers doing skin conductance a while back oh we use this particular method that is there any justification for that method whatsoever like you don't understand we've published this previously in two separate papers and no one ever said the method's wrong I essentially wrote back in here, well, they're wrong too. What do you want from me? Yeah. You know, at that point in time, at that point in time, at that point in time, you the the it's inherent on the editor at that point. Whereas if you're going to reach an impasse, you go, you can't do any of that stuff because maths, because yeah. reasonable expectations, <laughs> because just basic basic good practice. 
And when their response is, you, you don't understand, we've been doing it the shit way for years, is, is not an argument. It's just, like, the tyranny of precedence. Mm. It's not an argument. No. It's, it's, it's sort of the, the argument from authority. Yeah. Like yeah a, which, diffuse, um... a diffuse kind of authority that's not when they're not setting themselves up to know everything as much as the fact that uh, you can only say that if you think the point of science is passing peer review and making papers rather than making knowledge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't remember how it turned out, but no, I think they ended up actually giving giving more details, which is good. But before you made a great point about there being almost sort of two diverging schools of thought. Yeah. Now, one thing that I've been thinking about is that this transition is going to be tricky. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's extremely tricky because a lot of people, um, now the pool when it comes for jobs, when it comes for applying for grants, um, the, the, the pool of potential applicants is pretty big. Now, a lot of people who are applying for this have actually made their career based on the old school. Yeah. On stuff that hasn't been pre-registered, that stuff that was or wasn't knowingly p-hacked, and they've got all these great results in in fancy pants journal, yeah, yeah. Now, now people, all if all of a sudden we we say tomorrow, all right, all these recommendations, every single journal, we're doing it. Let's do it. How are the people who are doing this new way of science going to possibly compete with the people who had this unfair advantage to begin with? Mm. It's going to be. What, what, what do you do? Like, it's just I. I don't know. Do we do a slow transition? Do we do? Do we do some sort of like two year? Like, all right, transition process. I don't know. What do you... Honestly, honestly, I don't know. We've, uh, as a as kind of a collective community, I feel like we've uh, painted ourselves into a corner in a way. I'm talking collective. I don't think anyone holds a lot of responsibility for this. When, mm. when you mint a jillion PhD students because it's easier to get them to, to do the work for money. You don't pay professional scientists. You don't pay research assistants. You don't have staff scientists. You just go, we'll get a million students. We'll give away a million doctorates. <laughs> now you have all of these people who think, well, perhaps this is my career. They've, they've been raised in the scholastic tradition and that's just continued for the next 8 to 15 years. And now they find themselves at a point going, oh, no, now we all have to go out and do, do the, the, the thing. You mm. end up with an environment where everything is heavily oversubscribed. And obviously, the, the wrong way of doing anything when it comes to n making work that is non-reproducible, uh, making work that is... Not willfully inaccurate as much as of lower quality, but you know, looks better and has a, a greater appeal, etc. You know. Yeah. I've how do seen you none. how do you compete with that if you have metrics of how stuff is supposed to be assessed? Uh, yeah. Look, I don't know if. Uh, I've never seen a guideline for a hiring committee. Hiring committees, people in a room who sit around assessing a candidate person on the basis of personal qualities through to a research record. A lot of the time they don't know that well. And it is hard, of course. I mean, think of it. You've got people who do research from five different traditions. So a lot of the time you're not adding someone from the, the department who does one of those. You're adding someone who's, who's, who's different. Hmm. It's probably easier at a research institute where it's all about research and you know the quality of the person's stuff. 
that you you know if you're in a university environment what's imagine this imagine your specific research record now here's your hiring committee there's social psychologist a developmental psychologist a clinical psychologist and someone who does loopy bloody low-level perception research and they all have to look at your special little research record and go is dan a good fit for this are they going to know a damn thing they're going to rely on metrics you how how do you cross i mean at one point in time if there's a lot of competition at some point in time you end up with a sharp you end up with a sharp point to which the metrics must be addressed by you you know on what basis you will be assessed you think in terms of filling those metrics of meeting criteria arbitrary as they may be you make every decision that you make over a period of years in order to better meet those criteria Mm. congratulations your job is now looking better doing science not doing science but i think one way that we can actually bridge that gap is making open science practices uh, uh, more of an important point in in hiring. I, I think I have seen one job ad. I think it was from the Netherlands um, where they specifically said um, you need to demonstrate open science practices. This can either be by a um, <laughs> publishing a protocol um, by having an an open a paper with an open data set. Um, of course, because this idea is relatively new, they said, you know, you don't have to have demonstrated open practices for your entire career, but at least if you have something which which works towards that, that it, it would be seen as a bonus. So I think, you know, if mm. more and more people actually make this an important thing, then this is going to change incentives. People are going to look back. They're going to go, oh, okay, more and more jobs are going to need to actually pre-register my stuff. I'm going to need to put protocols up. Mm. We're actually going to do it. Sure, sure, sure. But- yeah, one of the the things that one of the something that we're working on right now that I'm super fond of is the fact that we're trying to get everyone everyone who works on different protocols within the laboratory. We're trying to make a massive GitHub cool. of how we all do analysis in X Y Z scenario, which takes care of the whole like open method. I ever want to point to the fact like we did it this way? You just go. That's a link. The code I used is on the Git. Go get is, it, lol. Gonna, <laughs> is, is it going to be? Uh, is it going to be open, or is it just to your lab? Oh, what's the point of just keeping it? So, so it is open now. It's not secret. That's the whole point. The whole point is to get it in one place and clean it up and give it away. Nice. Well, what are we? What are we going to do with it? What is it? <laughs> my, my my spectral analysis is is special. Of course, it's not. It's just it's just protocol. It's a matter mm. of being able to access it in one place. You know, more than one language. So it's it's one of those. It's a. It, I'll tell you what it is though. This is this is a large task. This involves multiple, maybe a dozen people doing different things, aggregating data, sticking it all in the same place, structuring it. It's not a trivial thing to do. So it takes time, time that would otherwise be spent on other tasks. Yeah, of course. Now you made a note. I wanted to get around to this. You made a note at something that you said here before ssrn preprint bought by elsevier and now gone to shit yes now uh ssrn is social science research network that's right i only know it because i read all of yuri simonson's papers there somewhere um so this is a preprint server for the social sciences 
Yeah, it was the main preprint server. Um, now, I remember that... it getting bought by Elsevier and them releasing a statement that was something like, we're, we're not going to, we couldn't, we couldn't possibly uh, change the, the practices. I mean, why would they buy a preprint server in the first place? To so that the they can, their hearts. So they can make a profound contribution to giving away <laughs> research the public's already paid for. Is that why they bought it? No, they bought it to enforce copyright. Yeah? Mm. And probably in a way where I imagine there's there's no point being too careful. Copyright is an interesting thing to enforce because there's no need to be too careful. I mean, people use it online. People use it as a weapon now. Like, you, you take someone's thing that's doing well and they're competing against you and the people go, oh, I'm going to tell... The, I'm going to tell the, the regulatory body in America or the YouTube internal process something, something. This is a, a thing. This is our copyright. We've made a copyright claim. And they'll go, oh, we'll pull it down while we investigate. <laughs> there goes your revenue stream. So yeah. it's, it starts with that and goes the whole way up to, you know, you can't give away that information. You can't give away that data. You can't give away that book, whatever, because it's under copyright now do you want to fight them and try and establish it or you just want to pull it off the thing and get on with your life so it's it's if you own something like that it is it's leverage now i've noticed um i've seen a lot of, of conversation online on twitter about people getting these notifications from elsevier going hey your thing is up here this is a breach of copyright please remove and people are like okay and they're removing it but just popping it up on on psych archive instead good. or good so I mean I, I don't know like it's what did they do? also look what did what do you think you can do I mean it's psych archive but um there's there's so many I mean there's 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 the OSF framework thing now mm. yeah there's psych archive there's uh PJ preprints which is still going great but Bi- bioarchive's good um yeah there's bioarchive there's also writing the paper and sticking it on the internet wherever the hell you like <laughs> so you know what you can't I, I don't get why they think they can fight motivated people on this it is a 10 minute job to I mean, people also do delight to sticking it to them they just try to make it hard on themselves Mm. It should be, you know, it's be a good exercise to collecting metrics and trying to figure out how it works and what can and can't be given away. No, 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 no. But every, I mean, no one likes that company. <laughs> no one. I mean, there's a, a few people at a few different websites who have these incredibly smug convoluted explanations to why they're so great and why you need a, why you need to do journal bundling so you can afford to pay copy edit have you ever seen this what about all the good things major major for profit journals do for the world what about the t- typesetting and copy editing is like do you know how much good copy like really good copy editing costs down if you're if you're me and you write something and you get a copy editor which is a process i'm not unfamiliar with do you know how much that costs if it's a technical of, document. Couple of hundred. No. no. This is also, it's another thing. It's, a, it's like an ultimate remote work situation. What do you think the internet's done to people having good access to copy editing stuff? It's about $10 a page. $10 a page. Okay. Yeah, so, because you've you know, also got a structure. It's not. A, it doesn't have to be its own thing. You're not creating it from scratch. 
It's not like it's an introductory textbook and you're putting all your own content into it. You have a format, you have a font, you have bins where stuff goes, you have headers, you have bigger requirements. And if you don't but, but meet we... them, they'll just they'll send back to you, no, send us a better one. And you said, oh, no, send us a different quality one until it's done. And most I, people, I most people with... use latex anyway. Have you ever looked at exactly. a, 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 have you ever looked at a preprint and gone, God, this is clean and neat and easy to read. All the typesetting was done by the person who wrote the damn thing together because it's all in text, man. I've I've done my first paper in text and I'm going to be submitting that preprint. And um, because the journal that I'm probably going to submit to has a has a LaTeX um, template, then it's the paper already looks like it's in the journal anyway. <laughs> so um they have you know, they have a template and you put the paper te- in the template and it makes it <laughs> and the thing is and, and they basically say you you can submit this as either a word document or hmm. you can actually just use the template and i think it, it saves them because uh it, it basically means it's copy edited straight away because yep. it's all, all the formatting's there um and i've recently last year you know i had, I had quite a few papers published I would say only one or two of them actually had somebody look through and make good changes to make the writing flow better. Yeah, um, and obviously, like look, true, the, true copy editing. The amount of the, the amount of grammatical and spelling errors that I see in normal papers being published mm. is still sufficient that uh, I'm absolutely certain that no one's no one is paying for these things to be edited. I think it's a race to the bottom because all these publishers are outsourcing um, quite a lot of this copy editing. It's the possible. It's perfectly possible. All copy editing is now outsourced. It's not a matter of we're not we're not sending manufacturing jobs to Taiwan here. It's a job where a document turns up. It is copy edited and then it is sent back and then maybe some iterations of this occur until the task is complete. It's been exactly the same for the last 15 years. It's just cheaper now and more people know how to do it and you have better tools. So I wonder... It should why be does cheaper it still and good cost quality. the same? Why does it still cost the same because, when it comes to journal costs? Because the market can support it, Dan, because they, their job is making money publishing stuff. Their job is not publishing stuff. So all the stuff can be read. Their job is to to obtain information and publish the information for money because they have a normal, straightforward profit motive. This isn't difficult to understand. It's not worth like throwing rocks. They're not bad people. They have a structure that has value. And when you say we shouldn't be doing that because it's bad for science in specific, in humanity in general, they go, well, that's interesting, but I have a structure here that says I need to do this particular task to make money. And I'm sitting here on my solid gold toilet getting really angry with the fact that you want to take all my money away. That doesn't Mm. make them bad people. They just have different motivations. I mean, they're going to lose eventually. Until Look, when we can figure out a way to do really good, really good expensive funded research and then give the results away and have people get, have it be appropriately assessed and people be appropriately assigned credit. At some point in time, you just run out of, you know, you run out of reasons to exist. Mm. It's a matter of time. It's perfectly, It's look, it's already possible to super, I mean, but this is the good thing about Sci-Hub. It's like they're taking this system and superseding the whole thing completely. Mm. I wrote this, uh, I, 
I wrote this thing about Sci-Hub in the middle of last year. People just keep reading it. People are continually surprised. Oh, I had no idea that was the point. The point is not that it exists. The point is that it's awesome. Yeah. The point is that it's really, really easy to get access to something that's locked away in a database that is probably still powered by hamster. <laughs> it's clickety-clack, bang. There's your paywalled stuff that's difficult to access. The libraries have got their own databases, and then they're sorted into like broader databases specific to the publisher, and then there's the thing, and the search bar doesn't work, and it's all... The whole thing has been brutally streamlined. Mm. And... <sighs> What are you? <laughs> I'm continually amazed by people on both sides of this debate, like the arguments that all of this is necessary. That it's clearly not, and then the argument that, that you know that these people are these people are evildoers from space. <laughs> <laughs> Neither of these things are true. Calm thy tits. Now uh, I want to I want to finish with one question for you. Oh. Um, I saw I saw a bit of a uh, bit of debate online as to whether the it was on blind... Twitter, wasn't it? Uh yeah. Ah, uh, you on the, the Twitters. The Twitters. Now, it was whether double blind or being double being double blind actually extends to analysis. Now, I would Wait. make the argument that. What? Okay, so you've done a double blind study. Yes. Yeah. Um, there's there's two ways of doing it. You unblind yourself to what the randomizations were, or if it was case control, you get the data and you know this was you know group A, this was group B, and then you do the analysis. Now there are obvious. Um, some people actually would argue that there's no biases there that you can unblind and then do your analysis. Um, I, I would actually argue that um, you and, and this is the way that we do it that we're actually um, we get uh, we clean all the data yeah. and we put it in a database and then within the database. When we set it up, we set parameters going, anything below this or above this is weird or probably weird. Yes. Yeah. Um, when we put it in, we get the warning and then we can check. Typo? Cool. You saved me an embarrassing typo. Um, if it's weird, then we, we then, then at that point, we can actually flag it as, a, okay, this is in the gray area or that is an obvious outlier. And this is before we even know who is in what group. Yeah. Yeah. Then then once we're satisfied with all these outliers, um, then we... Um, uh, uh, we lock the database, so we we cannot make any alterations whatsoever. Mm. Yeah, and then you put and your then, groups then, in. No, yeah. So th- then we then we get the groups, and then we do the analysis, not even knowing we we know group A, group B, group C, but we don't actually know what group that actually is assigned to. Then we do it, and then we have a reveal party or a reveal wake, depending on the uh, nature of the results. And that's how we do it. And that by doing that, that actually eliminates as much bias as possible. Because imagine you're you're hanging or you're gunning for a particular result, and you're doing the outlier analysis, and you you know you're like, oh yeah, yeah, that, that's an outlier. Let's get rid of that one. Of course, there's no bias there if you don't know the groups. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Look, I told you, I told you before about. In my what vanishingly small amount of spare time I had, try to modify how powerful it is to extend and remove normal outlier practices to that point is inconvenient. I wish it would go away. <laughs> oh, my hand slipped. Good lord, where did that point go? <laughs> um, cut an extremely long story short. Outliers are pretty powerful, so yeah, pulling them, pulling them out. After the fact, when you don't know what variants they're contributing where, uh, 
I suppose that's before the fact, isn't it? Excuse me. Slow day. Yeah, look, I don't know if everything has to go to quite that extent. And it is possible that some things that are specific to small groups... I mean, you, you, you don't know how things are going to sort. It's you, you, Your interpretation may change, but in essence, it is relatively easy to do what you just described. Yeah, and I think uh, one possible exception is that if you've actually, um, you know, registered or put out your protocol for for all your um, all your variables um, and for all your for, for, for your actual plan, then in that case, is you know, your hand your hands are pretty much tied. Like, there's no there's no trickery there. Whether you know what group people are assigned to or not, the analysis is the analysis. So I've seen some arguments um, that um, yeah, you know, we we didn't actually do it blind, but here's our protocol that we registered a while ago um we've we've reported every single result the good ones and the bad ones so you know we we, uh, we didn't do it blind um so i think there's arguments both ways but mm, well look there's there's already an enormous amount of trust factors involved to start with you know research research yes. re- research relies in at, at many levels continuously on trust that things are the way they are described so if you, you you're already publishing and anytime you publish a thing there are several elements several details where it will be impossible to check whether or not this is precisely the way it is so you're trying to make the trust inherent in the process and like that trying to remove that specific piece of it so i'd not be particularly concerned about doing something like this myself Simply because we wash all the data, we get to the end of the story, and what what stays in is everything that's justifiable on its own merits. Yeah. When you split it into groups and it doesn't work, then you know either go back and have a better idea or design a different experiment. It's not my problem. Mm. <laughs> you can tell I work with other people's data right now, can't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, if you had expensive clinical data, especially if you're, like, you're going to publish this and then other people are going to go out and go, we're going to try doing the, we're going to try doing Dan's protocol again with sick people and we're going to stick drugs in them. And it's inherent upon you to, you, I think you have a broader public responsibility to be immediately correct. I mean, you have to be right. The process has to be right. Mm. If I did your job, basically, I would do, I would do it the way you do it. Yeah. But it, I it, don't, it, I mean, it so takes... I don't need to. It takes a heck of a lot. It takes much, much longer, um, but it is good, um, even just to have the audit trails there to, to know who who logged in and who did what and who entered what. It's um, yeah. Um, now one uh, one one final point there. Yeah, this better be a final point. This is uh, that a lot of these processes cost money. Yeah. Yep. Um Now this previously was adopted within uh, within clinical work because pharma was often a sponsor. And farmer goes, how much does this cost? A million? Here you go. Do the thing. Get the monitor to come in. Have the <laughs> database. Be uh, you know, do do all this kind of stuff. Um, only recently have some universities, and these are just the the, the rich ones, the, the 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 sandstones, or the which is what we call it in Australia, or the Ivy Leagues, have stepped in and going, okay, if you don't have farmer sponsorship, we will jump in and do all that stuff that they would pay for normally. And that's only just begun to happen, but that's only been. With uh, with clinical work now, what happens with non-clinical work? Who's going to foot the bill for this? Um, do we have to actually um, put this into our grants? 
And if we do that, the review is going to go, why are they putting this into their grant? Should it be the institution um, who, who, who should stump up more to actually, uh, to actually do this thing? Because mon- monitoring and database and all this stuff costs money. You need, you need like extra, extra students, extra RAs to, to do all this. Like good you know. science takes longer and who's, who's going to pay for it? Yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not really. It's not really storage or collection costs now. It's the fact that you have to pay people to stick everything together in a right format that's easily accessible, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Um. You've now got a time. You've now got a time constraint. Mm. That you know you're going to pass that around. Yeah. Can't just keep chewing off more hours in the middle of the night. Trust me, I know from experience. Got to sleep. Uh, what do we do? What do we do with all of this rubbish? Encouraging transparency and open science. It sounds great when it's a sentence. <laughs> Trying to convince a 70-year-old emeritus professor. It's yeah. significantly <laughs> different. Involvement of methodologists in research. Yeah, they don't want they don't want the likes of me. <laughs> I saw there was this paper that found oh, that, this um, is terrible. That the field <laughs> that basically, as soon as the um, the person who's been sort of the head of the field dies, that um, everything immediately it, gets better. Yeah, innovation like just yeah. skyrockets. Innovation, yeah, that's great, Dan. There's a there's a good tagline for you. Innovation happens when old men die. On that note. We will wrap up today's episode. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Uh, keep on liking us on Facebook and following us on Twitter at, at Hertz Podcast. Uh, send us ideas, uh, everythinghurtspodcast at gmail.com as well. Give us feedback. Tell us if you want to hear more stuff or even less of stuff. Um, we love hearing what you guys think. And uh, Less Dan, uh, more cats. Less more- Dan, more cats. <laughs> More cats, more more of more of James's cat. Um, we we did have a in, in our last episode we did have our first guest, uh, Robin Cock, come on. And uh, this year we're actually looking to. That was yeah, there we go. James's James's cat. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Get this up in get... the get this up on the mic. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> oh, buddy, did I wake you up? Go on, go on, mate. We uh we we hope to get um, more guests on the show this year as well. And if you have any ideas, oh, we don't have guests, to. We will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that is all for today, and uh, we will see you on the internet soon. That's weird. He's weird. Bye. <laughs> Bye.